The following is a conversation with Elon Musk. He's the CEO of Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and a co-founder of several other companies. This conversation is part of the Artificial Intelligence Podcast. Hi all, I welcome you to the Building Culture Podcast where I invite incredibly smart people who build things. Whether they be engineers, entrepreneurs, programmers, hobbyists or researchers, it does not matter. As long as you're someone who loves to build things, I'll find you and podcast you. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest who is a lead researcher in robotics and artificial intelligence at the Autonomous Robotics Research Center. He was a professor of computer science at the University of Birmingham for three years and has at least 10 years experience in research in the field of robotics and artificial intelligence. His research is mainly concerned with planning, grasping and manipulation of robots in partially observable environments. He is tremendously experienced and has won numerous accolades in research and teaching. He is incredibly passionate about robotics. He is someone who eats, breathes and lives robotics, if I can put it that way. And at the same time is a really humble human being to talk to. So without any further ado, let's welcome Claudio Zito. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for the nice introduction and for having me in, uh, in this postcard. I'm very excited about it. It's truly a pleasure to have you. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you. So uh, let's get started with the first question. So my very first question to you is, uh, how did you get started in robotics? Uh, almost by chance, uh, because uh, I started the university in Italy. I'm Italian. I started my university in uh, Siena about uh, uh, math and computer science. I always been uh, very uh, interested in uh, in math and algorithms. So after my first degree, I moved to Pisa for uh, a master, a two years master. Uh, where I did more uh, AI and machine learning. And uh, during this period, I was awarded uh, uh, a scholarship to go to Japan for, uh, for a one-year internship in a company. And, and during this year, I worked uh, uh, on speech, syn- uh, speech synthesis uh, for robotics. So for an agent that was supposed to be a secretary of sort, a service robot. And uh, the robot had uh, a bunch of very sensitive uh, uh, microphones on uh, on the head, so could understand the direction of the voice, turn towards the person asking the question and answer. And I was uh, on the uh, speech synthesis, so creating a, a voice out of text. And uh, that was my uh, master thesis as well. So during my uh, let's say uh, my uh, education i had the opportunity to work in a research project during my bachelor thesis and my master thesis i had the opportunity to work in r d department uh, at the hitachi center research lab and uh, that was very 
interesting for me. The, the fact of working uh, on uh, uh, new challenges every time, not uh, uh, repeating yourself on uh, a normal coding uh, job, but uh, you know the fact that you have to involve problem-solving skills, trying to come up with a new solution, possibly a novel solution that the community hasn't seen. So that made me decide to go for, uh, for a PhD. And uh, to be honest, uh, robotics was not part of my strong uh, uh, skills. I didn't do really a lot of robotics, just a few introduction classes uh, during my master. Uh, but uh, I started sending emails. Uh, I uh, found this project here at the University of Birmingham with uh, the professor Jeremy Wyatt, who was leading uh, the Intelligent Robotic Lab. And uh, he was really interested in uh, applying uh, AI and machine learning to robotic applications. Now, the robotic application uh, he, um, he was interested at the time was manipulation. And uh, to be honest, I, I had no idea about, I had no knowledge about manipulation per se, uh, but uh, the, I found the, 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 you know, the task, the, 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 the aim of the project very interesting. And I really knew a couple of models that uh, he wanted to, to apply on this, uh, on this project. And, uh, you know, the PhD is also part of your education, so you have to learn. It was really open, in, uh, even if I didn't not have any experience, it was uh, happy for me to, to start. So uh, I started the PhD, and, um, and there I realized that robotics is great. It's actually a nice field. It's, uh, um, you know, machine learning is, um, well, my First, uh, my specialization is machine learning and AI. However, robotics is a, a, a wider field, if I can say, because uh, robotics in includes, uh, you know, the robot, so you have the machine part, you have to, you know, to build uh, uh, the, the, the robot, you have to code the driver for, for the robot. There is the perception part where you need to try to understand what's going on around the robot in order to make decision. Then there is the making decision part. There is the action part where you have to uh, define uh, the movement of the robot or the uh, uh, implementation of the decision in the robot and uh, these these actions will change the world somehow or the perspective of the world from the robot and uh, we also need to uh, take into consideration if i needed to reach a goal to split my sequence of actions in a, in a in a, uh, a set of actions that will be executed subsequently and then that means you need to think ahead you need to imagine how the world uh, changes when you do an action and if these changes will lead you to the goal that you you are targeting right so um for me, for my personality, I'm a guy that uh, tends to get bored very easily. So if I do the same job over and over, in uh, get frustrating. Robotics allows me to move from one side to another. Like uh, you know, you're not an expert in every 
all of these fields, right? Yeah. But you need to know a bit of uh, everything. And uh, when uh, you are a PhD student, so you are basically the last wheel of the <laughs> of the of the team. You need to to do everything mostly by yourself, right? Uh -huh. So you jump to stay in the lab writing code testing the code for uh, for the controller and then you move to to your office reading papers developing mathematical models and then uh, implementing a high level code for making decision and then go back to the robot testing again so there is a lot of uh, moving around and different kind of jobs that uh, are combined and um, i like that because it gives me the opportunity to you know go back to the lab with the you know um happy to be in the lab after you know three weeks uh, a month you get sick of staying in the lab but <laughs> that's the time where you have actually to move back to the office or whatever to do something else and uh um it's also nice that uh you know you you build something and you see the the robot doing things so it's uh when it works it's really exciting. <laughs> Unfortunately, not always works, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, you you started your your career mostly focused on machine learning aspect of it, but then you you kind of discovered robotics uh, accidentally, and uh, you, you you got the chance to apply machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to robotics, to you know the uh, move into the direction of autonomous robotics essentially. And and so is it safe to say that the diversity of uh, you know different uh, fields that are existing in robotics is what excites you about robotics because there are so many different areas that you can focus on so you you never get bored as, as you mentioned yeah that's uh, that's correct okay so uh, also uh, you have plenty of experience as a robotics researcher after you you found it as, as your uh, primary interest so how have you evolved as a robotics researcher over the past several years over over uh, uh, the last decade for instance well um the thing is uh, uh, now is a very um, interesting time for robotics because uh, um, there is a lot of interest uh, on uh, moving the, uh, the robots uh, outside the industry. This, uh, you know, we call it a structure environment where the robot is uh, yeah. has some uh, specific tasks that uh, can be uh, programmable. And the robot executes almost blindly a lot of uh, um, a lot of actions in a particular order, but they are very precise in doing these particular actions, right? So it's uh, actually faster than uh, the humans. But there is no cognitive part. They don't do, do not need to process a lot of data in order to accomplish those particular tasks. Um, now the computational power and the model uh, the community has uh, developed over the, the last 20 years have managed to move these robots outside the industry and in an environment that are less structured okay and here it comes to the the partially observable environment yeah. or the uncertainty when uh, you need to um 
not everything is in the position that you you, you can establish. Uh, uh, things are moving, uh, things are uncertain because there is noise in your sensor and stuff like that. So uh, there is uh, an inference process, right? Trying to figure out uh, what is what and uh, where is uh, the, the, the target and okay. decide what kind of actions in a safety manner because uh, ideally you work uh, around humans right so yeah. that's the goal and uh, so it's uh, obviously a moment where there are a lot of money and interest on uh, robotic research so that means that uh, i have a job and also okay. means that there are a lot of you know clever people around that are working in this field and uh, mm, the other thing is that uh, um Machine learning now has uh, a strong input in computers, in uh, sorry, in robotics, because uh, before most of the models we were using to control and didn't need to elaborate a lot of data. It didn't yeah. need to learn or to adapt. They, they needed to be safe, to be predictable. They needed to be accurate. And uh, that particular um, uh, models or uh, theory behind that, uh, it's very well established and known. And the people has worked on that um, since uh, last century, beginning of last century. Okay, so it's a very established part of the robotic community. Uh, while the adding the cognitive part, adding the, the reasoning and the AI, that is uh, the, the the new challenge, yeah. and uh, uh, and that was perfect for me because you know my main interest is AI and machine learning. So now I had uh, a field of application that uh, is eager to to get uh, this uh, kind yes. of uh, of technology, and there are a um, endless number of uh, uh, tasks and problems that are still open and the community is still working on that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but essentially, uh, during the early years of robotics, it was more about robots operating in a structured environment and and not in uncertain environments like for example in in a household where you don't where yeah as you rightly mentioned that the uh, environment is not fully observable it's partially observable but uh, you personally uh, started your journey into robotics not with the structured component you you started directly applying machine learning and ai into yeah. it yes but uh, um, if i can say uh, if we think about the uh, any robotic system we can think about the three uh orthogonal um damage okay. there is uh, uh the uh, the control part where we apply actions to the world and this part is uh very well established right then there is the perception part and uh, there is the uh, making decision that uh, takes perception and transforming action um obviously all all this field did not grow at the same rate yes. over the years so when i joined the university of birmingham in 2010 and i started my phd 
Uh, obviously, the, 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 the first dimension, the, part, the, the action part was really well established, but uh, uh, we didn't have yet strong neural networks, for example, or deep ah, learning. Okay. That was the time it was coming out. So uh, perception and uh, decision making was still a... Um, uh, they were very behind. The last 10 years, so there's been huge progress. And breakthrough in this uh, in these two fields. So uh, obviously, at the very beginning, um, I was more focused on the decision making process. And uh, here there are a lot of limitations. This decision making uh, process are very well established mathematically. They are very old. They take a, a name of uh, mathematicians that have lived in the um, in the uh, 19th century, for example. So the models were uh, uh, defined um, uh, two centuries ago, almost. But unfortunately, they are like uh, very expensive in terms of computation. So okay. apply these real tasks, it's very difficult. And uh, uh, during my PhD thesis, for example, I had the problems to actually make it work on the real robot. So doing a real task and uh, with a lot of data, a lot of things uh, needed to be uh, uh, processed. And, um, and that was a challenge because this model, although very elegant and very well understood by the community, were not enough to actually solve the problems in, a, in real time. <clears throat> So uh, here it comes uh, a lot of uh, optimizations uh, and uh, it comes a yeah. lot of uh, uh, clever way to formalize the problem so that uh, you can uh, establish uh, uh, assumptions and constraints in your mathematical model that simplifies the computation. And uh, at the end of the day, it makes the robot uh, do something as you want. And um, to be honest, I, I never move away from this area. So my evolution has kept me within this kind of research, using different model, obviously, uh, learning new stuff, adding, uh, try to expand also in these perception and actions uh, sides. But uh, I would say all my research uh, mostly focusing on uh, how to make these uh, beautiful, elegant mathematical models that uh, are really um, nice and describe, it possibly could describe everything, um, the decision, by everything I mean the, the decision-making process uh, in, uh, in many situations, to actually a specific task where they can actually be applied and work. And uh, uh, if I have to um, say what was the evolution or the dif different uh, um, parts, uh, different type of job since my PhD, I would say is the application. Because at the very beginning, I, uh, I was working only on this huge robot that's called Boris, you can find online a lot of videos. Uh, this uh, robot was built in our lab by our team. And uh, um, the, the task was to load the dishwasher. Okay, okay, so you have a dishwasher rack, you have objects, you have to, to grasp objects and place it there. And it was a bimanual robot, so it was able to 
grasp an object, pass it to the other hand, and place it on the on the on the dishwasher, uh, which is a very challenging problem and very interesting from the research point of view. Uh, after that, and that was an autonomous, you know, entity that was able to do this task uh, without the uh, supervision or any input from the user. Uh, then I moved towards uh, uh, different challenges, like, for example, um, control of uh, prosthetic arms uh, or uh, um, the, uh, well, one project was uh, a robot drama that was able to perceive audio and be able to replicate patterns uh, uh, of drumming. Uh, okay. of, of uh, I also work on uh, um, teleoperation uh, manipulator, so uh, teleoperative manipulator, where, uh, for example, industry like uh, the nuclear industry that have to uh, dispose of waste, uh, nuclear waste, um, their setup, the state of the art setup, the one that you can find in art. Uh, uh, industries, um, it's very uh, frustrating for the operator because you need to teleoperate the the robot using two joint uh, two uh, joystick. They control each joint uh, uh, at the time, and uh, the robot uh, is uh, behind a five meter wall to protect the user from radiations. So he sees the robot from. Uh, Few cameras or from uh, a window on the on the wall, and uh, it's very difficult for the operator to actually understand what's happening and to control. And you need to be an expert operator, so the learning curve is quite steep. And uh, adding an uh, intelligent assistant that is able to uh, replicate uh, some of this autonomous behavior while supervised by the, the operator is uh, makes the interface for controlling the ro this robot much easier for the operator and you don't need a specialized operator to to learn how to control because it gets more natural and uh, so the problems that I tackle is always the same decision making sometimes with the user loop so you have to take into consideration the intention of the user you try to detect this kind of stuff and try to make the user happy um, combine it with the autonomous uh, models but uh, uh, the evolution was mostly on the type of applications and as, as I said before yeah. robotics is a huge uh, huge field with uh, a lot of interesting challenges uh, in different um, uh, in different uh, um, industry or applications uh, yeah. and uh, my model can be applied uh, almost to all these uh, all these uh, uh, problems because at the end of the day the robot needs to take a decision he needs to act on them. yeah so uh, so you have uh, so your primary field is related to perception and decision making but you have applied this uh, 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 so, so you have uh, applied this to various different kinds of projects from uh, ranging from you know prosthetic uh, you know drum beating if i understood that correctly and then and uh, and, and drum there were two different projects 
Uh, yeah, uh, and the dishwasher and then uh, operating a robot, uh, teleoperating a robot in a, in a hazardous environment. So I'll go more into details uh, uh, about each of these projects, but first could you also uh, uh, give uh, your view of the different industries that will be affected or are being already affected by a means of uh, robotics, autonomous robotics uh, uh, specifically? Uh, well, the, um, we are now in the what we call the fourth um, industrial revolution where uh, we add more um, cognitive reasoning into the, the robotics part. Uh, so it's not any, we don't see the robots anymore as uh, stupid machines that are very efficient, but uh, we are trying to. Uh, distract ourselves from the uh, from the robot in the sense that we don't need to supervise the robot in every action so because uh, we know that there are some procedures the robot can uh, independently um, uh, employ um, the industry obviously uh, I would say uh, the the car industry, because autonomous vehicles yeah. are now a, a huge market. There are tons of companies that are developing their own system, their own cars, uh, developing uh, sensors to improve the perception of these cars. They are uh, developing also uh, from the um, philosophy point of view, the, the, the general AI point of view, they are also mm -hmm. developing a bunch of ethics rules for uh, these cards because these cards will move around us, uh, you know, autonomously, and there are a lot of uh, um, issues with that. Uh, for uh, um, you know, something you learn when you get your driving license, uh, you know, and uh, yes. uh, it also to to, to have uh, a a model for these particular issues. So, and uh, so there is a lot of research, and that is uh, the area where I can see in the next 10, 20 years uh, a lot of new, uh, new commercial products, because we are talking about that, right? Commercial product, when yeah, you can yeah. actually the robot to, to people, and is, uh, there is a mass production, so the cost of the robot is... Uh, is uh, not that expensive, people can afford to have it. Like uh, your Roomba vacuum cleaner, right? It's a stupid yeah. machine, but that's what it has to do, right? And it's a good help for, for the, the people because you don't have to, uh, to over your, your floors. Uh, it does not an incredibly uh, efficient job, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, most of the time, uh, it just randomly go around for half an hour or whatever to clean your floors. But uh, in the long term, it basically, you, you, you're sure it has cleaned the, the, the entire yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you don't want a, a car that drives them the same way they, yeah. <laughs> they <don't> <laughs> <put> <laughs> your hands, and so uh, it needs to be. Uh, much more clever, but uh, 
there's been a lot of investment and a lot of interest uh, in that, and there are models that allow us to have uh, quite robust navigation systems. So the technology is there. And uh, the, the, the cuts will be the very first market that will uh, show that we can have this kind of robots uh, autonomously living with us. Um, I'm not really an expert in, uh, in navigation and uh, autonomous vehicles, but uh, um, obviously I'm more about manipulation and after um, manipulation so this means uh, that uh, our next big stage is gonna be having a humanoid robot working in uh, uh, in um, houses as a service robot right so okay. um, supervising helping elderly or to as as a, a service robot that can you know make your bed or uh, clean your house or uh, clean your kitchen and uh, this kind of stuff. Take your dog out for a walk or whatever. And uh, there is a big problem here. Um, in, um, if I can say it in a very simplistic words, if you think about uh, um, autonomous vehicles, uh, they need to do path planning, go from point A to point B, following uh, the rules of the of the of the roads and uh, try to avoid uh obstacles okay obviously it's not that simple i'm now trying to to make it uh, uh yes. simple. but uh, when you are uh, doing a manipulation you actually needed to get in contact with the object sooner or later right manipulation requires contact and contact yes. means that you need to take into account the physical interaction. And physical interaction means dynamics, forces, uh, make prediction how the, the words will uh, will uh, behave, you know, after you apply forces uh, to the world. And uh, in order to be a, a safe robot, you need to be able to make this prediction because you need to understand when something is possibly dangerous, right? So... Um, here it comes a part where we are actually quite behind. We understand physics, but we do understand that it's complicated. And it's very difficult if you don't have all the, the if you cannot estimate all the, the parameters that are involved, it's very difficult to have a model that is able to predict what's, uh, what's going to happen. And, um, and that makes the, the manipulation part uh, quite hard. Uh, indeed, I would say that grasping or gasp synthesis, where you try to decide what kind of contact you want to create with an object, is not actually the, the most difficult part. It turns out that grasping is quite simple to solve, because uh, you can uh, imagine the grasping as uh, a, a static image of, uh, you know, the relative position of the robot and the vector with respect to an object you want to grasp, okay? Also, there is more complicated. You can have uh, occlusions, object pylons, piled up, so you, you need to take that in consideration. But grasping an object on a table can be done. Right? There are a lot of uh, examples uh, um, that, that, that show that you can do that. And you can learn how to transfer this uh, grasping skill, learning from uh, one shot, so you don't need uh, 
tons of training data. You one shot, you can learn the contacts on a particular surface and then transfer these experience uh, on different uh, on different objects. Mm -hmm. But if we, by manipulation we we consider going beyond the simple grasp so now you need to apply forces to the object and the object can be breakable or deformable or we need to uh, operate this object in a particular way like you know uh, grasping and hammer and nail something that is beyond just grasping right and that part of manipulation requires uh, yeah. obviously uh, particular um, design robots for example for I mean you need to uh, have robots that are able to uh, sustain the shock, right? So it needs to be kind of uh, flexible and elastic uh, in a, um, uh, to do these particular operations. Uh, you need to uh, understand how, you know, the forces that are involved in the movement, the acceleration of the movement in order to accomplish the task, uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So it becomes really complex task also for doing something very simple that for humans, uh, um, uh, it's it's pretty simple. It's a basic operation, yeah. like pushing stuff around. And, um, and for that reason, manipulation is a bit behind with respect to uh to cut so i would say that in the next 20 years so we can imagine a world where uh, most of the cuts are automatic and they will be safe uh but uh, i don't see um um robots uh humanoid robots working around uh, ourselves um okay. doing uh, you know going for grocery and this kind of stuff that's uh I don't think it's going to happen in the next uh, next decade or so. Okay, so uh, the next frontier, according to you, is dealing with the cars, so autonomous cars in general. But uh, you talk about the hardest part for a humanoid robot would be manipulation and not grasping. So the, also uh, for a humanoid robot, it it probably the fact that. Uh, one humanoid robot is not uh, responsible for one specific kind of job, for example, you know, picking an object maybe, uh, but uh, a variety of uh, different kinds of tasks and that adds to the challenge because uh, because the uh, artificial intelligence technology that we have uh, is currently focused on one specific kind of uh, problem. So the narrow AI thing and uh, for humanoid robots to you know, operate in homes, they need to be more general purpose. Uh, can you also uh, uh, tell a bit of difference between uh, general purpose robotics and, and the approach uh, uh, that's there behind it and, and the narrow AI uh, way of uh, dealing with robotics? Uh, 